0: We're back. Thank you, back. Hey, friends. You're listening to Life in Theater, the podcast where theater people of all kinds come to reconnect with why we chose this life in theater and spill the tea. On this show, we discuss their careers, what they wish they knew when they were starting, current theater culture, where they would like to see this art form go in the future, and much, much more. I'm your host, Tyler Calhoun, and I'm so, so happy that you decided to spend some time with me today. Welcome to the final episode, friends! It's the last episode of my first series, Things My Theater Teachers Taught Me. I really hope that you've enjoyed the show thus far. And to celebrate, Life in Theater is now listed on Apple Podcasts! Yes, ma'am, we are trying to make this show even more accessible to anybody that wants to listen to it. And if you have been listening and enjoying thus far, I'd really appreciate it if you went over to Apple Podcasts and left us a rating or a review. It will go a long way to help other people find the show. Now, I have to say, I'm not trying to play favorites, but this last interview is really, really spectacular. And it features a chat with my mentor and pal, Decky Alexander. I first met Decky in undergrad, either when I took improvisation or storytelling. I can't remember which came first. Either way, I then proceeded to take every class that she taught at Eastern because she's just that incredible. <laughs> In graduate school, she introduced me to the worlds of autoethnography and applied theater. I've since had many opportunities to travel the country and engage in applied theater work through her company, Limelight. Decky is an artist who uses theater for civic practice, community engagement, advocacy work, and in so many other ways as well. One of the most precious things Decky has taught me is the theater mindset, which we'll be discussing in this interview. I hope it's beneficial for you, too. Thank you so much, first of all, for talking with me on this podcast, Decky. You are an inspiration to so many people in so many different ways. And I'm so excited to talk about how theater intersects with all the things that you do in the most unexpected and innovative and imaginative ways.
1: I'm honored. I mean, I really, even when you just said, I feel you," I'm inspired or so many people and things, I just... You know, I'm feeling right now a little bit like uninspired. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm, not, I'm inspired, but I feel like, where are we going to go as theater artists? So I am right. I'm honored to figure. I'm honored to talk to you and, and to talk about ways in which the theater becomes part of every day.
0: Yeah, that's that is what I'm very interested in figuring out. Okay. So let's get into the gig. <laughs>
1: let's get into it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, so first of all, just to kind of get some information about you, how long have you been doing theater ducky?
1: So I I think been doing theater like when form like formally on a stage or audience came, which is still how I might still regardless um define theater whether the audience is accidental or non-accidental mm-hmm. i have been performing in in play since i was a little girl i was part of this company in um, the north shore of chicago called theater uh, children's for children's theater company mm-hmm. and i started at age 8 and it was oh really based in satire. I mean, it was really kind of sophisticated theater for young people. It was wow. young people performing for young people. And mm-hmm. the um, artistic director had great, was a theater director in Milwaukee, moves to Chicago and really wants to do kind of this satirical theater. And so I started my first like real like theater on stage was like satire and wow. they would she would do these like reconfiguring like fractured fairy tale kind of theater and so mm-hmm. i think i started really formally more there and i was part of that company for a really long time i mean a long time for a child and then yeah. started doing it in school so i've always and i played a lot of animals for a really long time i don't know i mean i'm very anthropomorphic <laughs> in my being as you as a lot of People well, you certainly know, but a lot of listeners might know, is that <laughs> I believe like everything has a soul and a voice. And so mm-hmm. I really, and this is probably why I don't, I continue to not eat meat. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I played a lot of animals for a really long time. after the Bloodhound, Missing Part of Speech, Toto, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, you know, a lot of things like that.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> I would love to see you as Winnie the Pooh. Like, oh my I gosh. I think that
1: was like, so that was like a senior in high school. And so for a long oh my gosh, time, really? I would be like, oh, bother, which is like part of like. <gasps> yes. Oh, bother. Yeah, I had this. I don't know the details about, it, but yeah, I was pretty <laughs> good. So I played a lot of animals. And I remember when I got into, I actually wasn't even until graduate. I mean, yeah. in, in undergrad a little bit, but in graduate school, I my professor was like, "Maybe you should not be playing children or animals." I'm like, "Really? Like it never mm-hmm. occurred to me that that was like my like default." <laughs> but I have a sense of arrested of development, so.
0: And I think that through training, especially, we're kind of placed into these things, especially by others, and oh, yeah. discovering, yeah, discovering the boxes that you haven't been put into that you actually fit really well into, I mm-hmm. think is a part of mm-hmm. this process of learning, of training that doesn't get acknowledged as much as,
1: mm-hmm.
0: well, I'm gonna put you here because this is what you've done and this is what you're good at. You know, and that happens a lot.
1: mm mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, you know, I think that now that I've been practicing in pretty intensively, both both the teaching of, mm-hmm. the creating of, and the embodiment of theater for mm-hmm. almost my entire life, I, I'm able to, while in it, reflect on it. Yes. Or, and also be reflexive of it. Like, and I think that has been the biggest shift. Like, I remember when I was Toto in a play. <laughs> uh, Toto. I remember I was on stage and I did like some shtick, you know, some little dog thing. Cause I like totally had like, it was such a, um, I was such, so Stanislavski based when I was in high school, oh my God. I like Methody. And I had like research dogs in the neighborhood. And I had like, oh, some you went in. And I remember I had all of these laughs. And I remember thinking, like, I can do this for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Like, it, what, and what that doom was it like? you know, the idea that I got all these accolades or that I was funny or that I could just be something else fully Mm. for moments all all the time. And so I think that what the difference between, when you say like you talked about boxes, I think what I come to learn is that um, theater, the theater of my, you know, as 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 I became older, I was able to reflect on the theater work while I was in it mm-hmm. and also its impact on me, and that's allowed me to more freely shift, I think. Um, in between and in, in seeing it so much larger than I ever thought it like a way of living and breathing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which we've talked about before, but I can talk about it here as
0: well. <laughs> I'm sure it will come up, I am sure it will.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, I can talk about that. Yes. That's probably the essence of like, yes, how I live in the world, right?
0: So, um Moving on to, to the next question. Yeah. What do you love about theater?
1: What do I love about theater? I that's a really great question. It's so funny. There is this I think it's a Joseph Chaikin quote and it says, People who do theater, um um, who actually practice theater don't love to see it very much. So I like to do it, but I don't always love to see it. I'm that way too. Yeah. And so it's really interesting. So when you said, what do I love about theater? Mm -hmm. I, that's not true. I love to do, I love to see theater that I've helped create Mm -hmm. like written or been able to write something for somebody else. Like that sense. Yes. So what do I love about theater? I, you know, I love the idea of immediacy. Mm -hmm. I really do. I, I, I still am, there's still something just like, all like about that moment of unpredictability and impossibility that only theater can do i i still get jazzed on it like as an artist and as uh, it, particularly even if artists have, even if I'm not in the moment itself, even if I had helped create the moment, like watching, like if I helped create something, direct something, write something and watch other people do it and people respond to it. Yeah. There is no greater high than that moment of connection between an audience and a performer and a player and a and material mm-hmm. of like, I had no idea that the world was that way or I felt this way or I connected this way. So I think that I love about theater still and is those moments of uh, possibility in real time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably it. And I love the idea that it's an audience-driven medium. Like everything I do, I ask, what is the audience? Who's the audience? What is going Mm -hmm. on here? And so I think those are the... That I begin at audience and not begin at what I think is what I want to do. So I right. think those are the two things.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I think that a lot of, I think a lot of theater, theater companies need to hear that and pay attention <laughs> to that. What does your audience want? You know, as opposed to
1: yeah.
0: we've been wanting to have this show in our season for the last 10 years. So we're finally doing it. Yeah. But does your audience want to see Hello Dolly?
1: It is so interesting to me. And maybe it's because my work is applied, right? That my work begins in community and with community and or about community that I begin at who's the audience? Who are they not? Like everything begins that way. And it's funny because when you're talking about a theater company, yeah, they set, they set a season based upon what they hope or want. And yeah, uh, and I, I think there's a, you know. Peter is a wide tent and my part of that sort of tent is that i always begin with an a desire to understand the audience Mm -hmm. in which we're creating with for and or about and so yeah yeah
0: and if you look back at like the companies that came out of like you know the like the 70s and the 80s and stuff they were very community driven and very informed by what was going on in the communities that they were a part of and Mm -hmm. aiming to shine a light on those stories for the communities that Mm -hmm. they were with Mm -hmm. you know
1: i mean things like cornerstone still which is Mm -hmm. um, still around which is one of those theater companies out of california definitely they're a community-based community-driven theater company Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean you don't you, don't, you can still get corporate sponsorships. You can still get grants. Yep. You, yeah. could, you could still do all the things that a more commercial theater company, you're right, can do. But what does it mean to be a community centered community based theater company and, or create community based community driven theater? I think mm-hmm. those could be, those aren't mutually exclusive.
0: No, I don't uh, think so either. Yeah.
1: So, no, I think that's true. And what, in and, and, and you know, it's neighborhood like. I just think mm-hmm. I wish there was I think maybe that's what our return is gonna be. I have always wanted to think about what does like neighborhood theater look like, really like block theater. Like yeah. theater is a the block. You know? Yeah. I mean right here, I mean if you only have this block.
0: Right. What can you do?
1: What can you do? This is it's 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 a bricolage, you know. Yeah, it's bricolage, right? And you've got it's letting the letting the materials dictate the design and the materials yeah. are this block, we can't drive. We have to social distance.
0: Mm-hmm. All
1: right, here
0: we go. Power of limits.
1: Love it. Ooh,
0: girl, we're going to oh, get into good. some improv lessons later too. Oh, good. Love it. Ah. It's okay. so fun. I know. Oh, I'm so glad you're having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> um, On to a topic that might be a little bit more uh, difficult. Okay. What frustrates you about theater? Because it's not all fun and games.
1: What frustrates my me about theater? Um, you know, it's an, I don't know if it's a frustration, but this is mm-hmm. going to be really interesting. I, as much as I love theater, I am I don't love dialogue. Yeah. I think that I know that's a frustration. Like I don't like to read plays. Like I just yeah? don't. I mean, there's like this. Um, there's a blog came out. It's like, what plays are you reading now? I'm like, I can't stand them. I, mean, <laughs> I don't like to read plays. I don't like them. I don't. Yeah. So I don't know if it's a frustration about theater, but I just don't, the the concept of dialogue, I I really love monologue. I'm really more of a Mm -hmm. storyteller, monologic kind of theater person, artist. And that's just where I've been able to breathe most easily. Right. Um, Or multi-voice work. But I don't know, theater is meant to be experience so i i think what i yeah. i mean even though i i think dramaturgs are amazing and interesting and all of those things i what, i don't know if it's a frustration it's just it's just not something i totally dig i think frustratingly i don't know if i am frustrated about like things about theater in general but i think mm-hmm. i'm frustrated more about um the idea that theater has to sell itself differently in order to be able to maintain itself and so that's more of just yeah. the culture in which we live. Um, Absolutely. And I I think like in the state of Michigan where we live, you know, there is not a lot of commercial theater and there's not a lot of residential or uh, repertory theater and I think my gosh, why what infrastructure is in the state that doesn't allow for that that art form to flourish. So.
0: Yeah. So and that's an I interesting thing I think, think people
1: perceive it as too complex um at times, so maybe that's yeah. why, yeah,
0: absolutely, yeah i yeah, I totally feel that, and I think that the the perception of what theater is is very different from the possibility of what theater can be,
1: oh yeah, absolutely, right you know? yeah I, yeah, I, yeah, and I think maybe that's yeah, I don't know if I'm so frustrated by it because I feel like lot of theater tries to adapt to climates and changes and mm-hmm. um I don't, yeah i because i could you know there was a time i would like i couldn't stand broadway i was like Ugh. so just i'm just not actually okay here's what i will say what's the tea i'm not a spectacle person
0: oh okay okay
1: maybe that's it i'm a lay bear person really give me a, a chair on a stage mm-hmm. and i'm thrilled yeah like I love less is more mm-hmm. in theater. So what am I frustrated by? I don't, I mean, not that I don't appreciate the meticulousness of, of some of the spectacle of theater mm-hmm. of using all the conventions to create worlds within worlds within worlds. But eh, I don't know. I think sometimes I'm like, Ugh. I think you can just have a voice and a heartbeat and you'd have a lot of amazing things to see.
0: Yeah.
1: Maybe that's my frustration. See, now I have to think
0: about it. That's okay. Hey, that's what we're here to do. We're here to think about this stuff. These are, these are the questions that we should be asking. Can you tell the listeners what you do at Eastern Michigan University and how long you've been there?
1: Yes, so I am a professor um, in theater, or actually technically educational theater um, at Eastern, Mm -hmm. and most of my work is in applied theater, so it's the use of theater and community, the application of theater in context or non-traditional theatrical spaces and places that's probably more my emphasis but i also simultaneously direct um an office at the university called engage at emu which um, mm-hmm. oversees a lot of university community partnerships both large and small and serves as kind of a front-facing door to the institution um which for us for me professionally has allowed me to provide a lot more resources for our, for students to do applied work within theater work within community. So I do that. I still teach, I teach most of my teaching is in, it's in, it's improvisation. It's really improvisation in your everyday life. Um, Even though I was Mm -hmm. trained improvisationally in improvise, most of the, the teaching I do at the collegiate level is improvisation as a life skill, really, I would say, or as a teaching tool. Um, I'd agree with that. And then um, I teach storytelling and applied theater and autoethnographic performance, which is my own background, my own work, um, Mm -hmm. and writing for performance, and that's my own area. So those are what I do on the academic side. And then um, my scholarship is in – it's not really a scholarship. That's part of the problem. It's creative scholarly. (laughs) 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 But it is in applied theater, but I do a lot of interesting – for the use of theater Mm -hmm. for faculty development theater and social change and social justice. I started a theater group that's now 24 years old called close up. And um, I do a lot of work like um, I've been doing some work with a lot of nonprofits in different ways and figuring out how theater can be part of their own storytelling of Mm -hmm. their own organizations. So I'm really interested in how theater can play a role in how, organizations can help tell their yeah. story. I love that. Yeah. So that's really where my interest is as a like
0: And can you speak a little bit about how your theater background has been useful or come into play as your role um as the director of EMU Engage?
1: Such a great question. So I would argue that the director being engaged was accidental and non-accidental. Uh-huh. But so I was, um, I should give a little background on that I was running the Office of Academic Service Learning, which is community-based and community-driven in the in- integration of community into teaching, mm-hmm. which is totally correlative to my work as a theater faculty member. Um, but theater, the theater mindset mm. is really, in at least the way that I live it, And experience it is all about audience it's all about adaptation it's all about um looking at um, putting parts together and creating a whole Mm -hmm. it is a focus on process to get to product it's an immersion in process to get to product Mm -hmm. and the engage uh, center at emu and i think my life i always like what is an artist in academia or what is a theater artist in academia and I'm, I live that life. I focus on process to product. I'm able to make connections between seemingly dissimilar ideas, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is like nothing for theater artists. Like, it seems like, Oh yeah, you can take this brick and this pen and I'll be, you know, I'll be, I'll create this amazing, like, you know, paperweight that everybody could use or, um, yeah. So I think the correlation is I, I'm an artist in this space, a theater artist, because I'm I could still create product. I'm a, I mean, theater artists are really great project managers. Mm-hmm. We can, we can, we know, we understand the idea of a project from beginning to end. We know how to work with all different kinds of people. We understand deadlines. <laughs> we um, we know how to uh, adapt to the um, to the unknown. Mm-hmm. That is that is our constant. Yeah. I mean I, we you know obviously with the pandemic, we have these major programs that are in all the schools, we have programs that are in our our, our low income housing communities, we have uh, programs that are uh, social enterprises, and we've been able to adapt all of that because this is this is what you do as a theater person. Mm-hmm. you adapt all i mean that is what we've been practicing since well, if you're in theater, you know how to adapt. Yeah. Somebody does something on stage, you shift. Yep. A laugh comes in an audience, you adapt, you respond. You learn not to anticipate. Yeah. You learn to be your most present self in every moment. So here's the present. I don't future many things at all.
0: Yeah.
1: Is probably why I was single for a really long time. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't single. I just wasn't, you know, I was like, well, here I am. I'm doing this thing now. And then I'm in the now. I'm in the now. Yeah. And if you're so in the now, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I should be looking around, thinking about the future. But it's really hard to be a futurist when you're a theater artist.
0: Yeah. You got me, girl. <laughs> I'm very much so in the now right now. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, so you you too, yeah. right? You're like more of the, you're a present person. Yeah.
0: I don't think I always have yeah. been, but very much so now.
1: Oh, you're an immersive theater artist, though. You give a hundred to the moment. Yeah. I mean, it's a, am- it's beautiful to watch. Oh, really, yeah, uh, you are. And you, and you. Pre- it's not that you don't prepare. You actually, I think there's preparation and there's tutoring. Mm-hmm. That's different. Mm-hmm. You're preparing for the present, right? Yeah. You're preparing to be your most present self. I mean, to be a theater yeah. artist, you need it's a marriage of planning and spontaneity, right? It just is. It so is. It is, and so, um, yeah. I think that's how it's allowed me to be able to do this work. To, uh, you know, you know how to adapt. You know how to pivot. You know how to transition. Yeah. You know how to get from one scene to another, and we we understand entrances and exits.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and what's the theater world? They can see you. They can see you as you. Leave the stage, keep in character Do you, whatever, until yeah, you exit I, the stage. And so you, I think we know when you enter, you are fully in and you got to wait until you are off stage and think about that metaphorically until you can get out of character. And so I just yeah. think that correlates to running an engagement center whether and now i didn't think about them when i like took this job i just like have unpacked it right <laughs> like, yeah. like right it's not like i was like oh. but i've thought about like what is how do i take what i know about mm-hmm. my work into this
0: and i think that well i know oh. that i wanted you to talk about that because theater people tend to sell themselves short you know in the beginning of this interview we talked about boxes and i think theater people are very guilty of putting ourselves into these boxes and not seeing how our skills are useful in additional contexts, you know, that might not be inherently, you know, or might not be appear to be theatrical on the surface level. But when you dig deep and you kind of just like look at it with a magnifying glass, you're like, oh, this is theater. mm -hmm. This is connection. This is engagement. Mm -hmm. This is entrances. This is exits. You know, it's like all these things that we practice. So... We can do better.
1: I don't think we, un- people, theater artists sometimes don't unpack the breadth and depth of the work, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I don't know why that is. Maybe because you're so focused on the deliverable sometimes. you yeah. not seeing the skills that you're, the life skills, not even the yeah. practical skills. Like the, yeah, I can change a light. Well, I actually, I can't change a light. I'm really... I'm <laughs> shitty for Like I actually am really bad spatially actually, as you probably know because you've seen me stage. But
0: You're fabulous. What are you talking about?
1: But I think that there's yeah. life skills, right? The like life the life skills of theater, of being a theater person. And 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 I don't know why we've not afforded that space consistently for theater
0: mm-hmm.
1: individ- students or practitioners to do that to really see how the theater there's a mindset and there's a theater way of living that allows you to live and live in different ways. I'm really, you know, we're at, we're adaptive, but I also want to say Mm -hmm. one thing you made me think of, and I think this would be helpful for listeners in particular is that I never felt I particularly belong in a more traditional theater. I just didn't. I mean, I, I knew this when I was a little girl, I mean, maybe it's because I was playing like animals. Could (laughs) be. Um, or I was more interested in really presentational mm-hmm. theater, like I always have been much more interested in um if I go back and think about my own the moments where I felt I was my most my strongest even as a kid like yeah. I, when I did monologues when i under when I was connecting directly lay bare mm-hmm. to audience is when I felt the most. I don't want to even say power, powerful, it's power. Like the power, like, oh my God, I can't believe I can connect like that. Uh, And I mean, all our relationships should be like that, right? That kind of real visceral intense connection. So I think part of it is also, I didn't feel I fit in. A little into the more mainstream theater spaces
0: too yeah if you're a listener and you feel like you don't fit into the more traditional theater spaces go make your own because they're needed that's, they're much needed good
1: point puff yeah i mean that's you totally know? they do i mean and that i mean i think that's what being a theater artist is look what you're doing i mean is to create yep. your own path and possibility if you know i, I mean I think one of the things I felt as an instructor to do is he, if I can give the students the, not even the tools, but the will to think that they can carve their own past, that's what I want them to do because you're going to need to. Yeah. I mean, you yes. may be able to go to auditions and get somebody, get something in already made and set up shop mm-hmm. and be part of somebody else's dream and vision. But more than likely, you're going to have to create your own path. You are, and you have to figure out as a theater artist what tools you have to be able to yep. do that. And so I have, you know, when student graduate students come to, to the university and we want to figure out if this is the right program for them, I say, you have to be an initiator. You yeah. have to be, if, if this is the right program for you. We will help you craft that path, but this, you have to be an initiator.
0: I love that. And that relates back to my next question. Oh, good segue! Yes. So I had the good fortune of taking, I think, literally every class that you taught.
1: <laughs> I'm like, wait, Tyler's not even in my—I mean, you are in like kind of my program, but I teach in both programs. But
0: yeah, I like to bridge programs. You know me. <laughs> so I—I I got to take improv, storytelling, performing the self, autoethnography, and applied theater with you. Oh my God did? I know, seriously. People
1: will know I call you Puff Tyler. Sorry.
0: Yeah, in case people don't know, episode one, Pam called me Tylette. (laughs) Jackie's calling me Puff. (laughs) It's my improv nickname. Get into it. (laughs) I have many different names. I'm a performer. It's fine. (laughs) So I want to talk about each of those classes and how a theater mindset could take something useful out of these classes to the world that we're living in right now. So... What skills can be cultivated by studying improvisation that you would consider to be specifically helpful for current life or post-pandemic life?
1: Well, I mean, in some ways, improvisation... So I was teaching improvisation this semester when the pandemic hit and we had to move the class online.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: in some ways, improvisation has really prepared us. The study of improvisation and the practice of improvisation prepares you for things for the world right for yeah. the unknown for, for for transitions for adaptability but i think most specifically to answer your question there's a couple of improvisation rules that i've been like saying as a mantra oh have lately.
0: you yeah share with the listeners
1: <laughs> yeah the, so um one is move action forward not sideways or backwards mm. and so there's a, a tendency i think and i am totally guilty of it to be focused on but this was like this yep but i wanted to go back but i didn't get to finish this yeah uh remember what happened focused on what was this mm-hmm. is what it is and what could be and i get that because yeah. in the immediate, i mean a ton of stuff was lost in immediately and might be lost for a while mm-hmm. and may come back into different forms so i think the practicing improvisation improvisation is about you know relationships and moving a moment forward and so to me moving action forward not sideways or backwards
0: yeah
1: uh would be one i continue to say because i i've been you know in moments i've been like but this right um so that would be one i think the other one i mean there's a lot of improvisational like rules that allow you for what i call everyday living or living more effectively in the moment or living more fully in the moment and Mm -hmm uh but there's probably one that I love that I use in my everyday which is uh, you see not imagine and you discover versus invent mm. that's kind of it and it's the idea of discovery they're kind of I think I'm blended them but it's seeing and discovery versus inventing and imagining mm. And, mm. And, okay. and and I Think that what improvisation, the practice of improvisation helps us do is be in moments of discovery and seeing. If I'm always in a moment of imagination and invention, I'm not particularly present. I'm not going to see the white-breasted nut hatch outside my window. Nope. I am not going to recognize I'm like oh my gosh I did not know that the black squirrel and the uh, brown squirrel were friends okay I mean whatever that might mean but that's no. the scene right right yeah. right I, I'm seeing what is uh, yeah. I mean people are always like you know listeners might be like what's the relationship between birds and improvisation and like there's a ton actually because birding mm-hmm. I missed a whole bunch of things that were right in front of me the whole time. Yeah, because I'm not present, not seeing. And by seeing something, I discover worlds within worlds within worlds. Hmm. There's so much to learn about what is right in front of you. So I think yeah. that that rule right now is so applicable to our life because what I what we're going to be, you know, we've been always thinking we've been sort of distracted. Swipe left, a swipe right world.
0: Cancel culture.
1: Yeah, cancel culture. And this is, what do you see when you walk outside? Yeah. What do you, what can you discover of what just is in front of you now? I mean, that, the trees, the neighbors, the air, the lucky, the, the gift of breath.
0: Yeah, the gift of health. Sure. Yeah.
1: So that would be the improv,
0: my improv. I love that. Okay. Maybe maybe we'll do another episode where it's just talking about improvisation and how it can help with your daily life. <laughs> oh my that gosh, could be I think that's thing. so
1: necessary now. I feel yeah. like you know, I don't. I wanted to write something on it, but the, the strength to write is hard lately. It is hard. I get that. hard now. I mean, it might be yeah. yeah. Right, right. You found right, it, it, it might hard be. too.
0: Yeah, I I am. And I mean, that's, I think, part of why I wanted to do a medium like a podcast, because it allows me to connect with people. You know, there is writing that is involved. Yes, I do have to prepare these episodes. I know you. (laughs) (laughs) yes. But it's not, it's not like writing a paper about it. And I think it's more, it can be more entertaining and enjoyable than reading about this stuff, but still as informative and educational. You know what I
1: mean? Absolutely. No, totally. It's great. awesome. Awesome.
0: My favorite class was autoethnography. So for listeners who may be unfamiliar with autoethnography, can you talk about this style of writing and performance and what it is? Yeah.
1: So, you know, when you're an ethnographer of a person Mm -hmm. or people, you are studying that people and you recognize and I'm getting a real simple kind of uh Definition to this, but you recognize your role in the interviewing and the studying process. Mm-hmm. Like you, if you're studying a people or a culture, the role of the ethnographer is revealed. It's not hidden, right? Like you know that you are uh, studying that person. And so when people write ethnographies, the role of the researcher is present in the research, for lack of a better word. That's mm-hmm. how I understand it. As if, now, I am not a social scientist. I'm a theater artist, but I understand it because it also took with me in graduate school, both ethnography and autoethnography. Yeah. Autoethnography mm-hmm. is you are your ethnographer. You are mm. a subject and an object to be studied, examined, explored as you want. And as you study that, the study of you might give us insights, ideas, understandings of culture, of people, of mm-hmm. politics, of policy how do you how does the study of you tell us something about the world in which we live mm-hmm. how does it illuminate um what does it uh so you are a scientist of you i think sometimes and um i always like to like I correlate it to like a lens, like a concave lens or like Mm -hmm. a wide lens. And I think sometimes you can look at yourself and do the panoramic and see the whole part of you in this one particular moment and see how it it might impact all these different kinds of aspects of the world. And sometimes it's concave and sometimes it's close up and... Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah. So that's how I I recognize and understand autoethnography. Those who write on autoethnography would be like, oh my gosh, she's such a simpleton. But uh, for somebody who who does, so a lot of people who write about it don't actually do it. And so I probably, I came at it from a performer standpoint Mm -hmm. and then allowed theory to inform that work. So Mm -hmm. it's a little bit. And so, I still find it the hardest thing to teach. I think it's so hard for me to teach it i yeah, because it's so complex, and i'm not I'm not a social scientist, and mm-hmm. so I find that I always found it harder to explain its merit and explain how it works, yeah, and every time I teach that class, I'm like, "Oh, I discover something." I'm like, "Oh, I should said it this way." Oh, I should explain it this way, yeah hard to teach it's very hard to teach something when you are a practitioner i think sometimes this kind of stuff yeah i'm glad that it it it, it inspired you because sometimes it just people grab it and they're like got it
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you i'm like Phew.
0: i think it's because i'm just so anxious all the time <laughs> That like my head is always like very introspective and running things over like a million times to be like, okay, what was that about or what did that possibly mean or how many interpretations can I give to this?
1: Well, you're a questioner. Yeah. Like you question. I mean, you're very reflective. Yeah. You're hu- and I think actually one of the things that's necessary of this particular approach is you have to be you have to be able to reflect with an ease. Mm-hmm. Uh, that if you have to try to be a reflective individual, it's not gonna, it's not your work. It's not your work.
0: Yeah,
1: it doesn't. It's not going to work. You can't do the work unless you're reflective, and reflexive, but mostly reflective. Yeah. Reflective to me, reflexive means you're more in the experience as you're doing it. To me, I'm talking about reflective. You're able to really like go. Hmm. This is the story of my life. This is this moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Reshape, reshape, reshift.
0: You own a small performance company called Limelight. Yes. Yes, which I have had the great pleasure of doing some the best. really, really exciting work with.
1: Really? You think so, Poff? Oh, yeah, my gosh. So, has it been?
0: it okay. has been like one of the biggest privileges of my life to get to do what I've done with Limelight. I absolutely.
1: Oh, my God. I'm going to cry.
0: <laughs> yes, seriously. So thank you.
1: Oh my god, I feel the reciprocal. I feel the same way. Like it's it's really reciprocal. Okay, anyway. Yes, yes. Because when I was thinking about your question about, about frustrating theater, what I love about theater, what I love about theater is watching people perform the work that you've had to help in developing. And I Mm -hmm. think about watching you. So that's nice to know.
0: You're so sweet.
1: Oh my gosh. No, I mean that, Pop. I think so. so. That was like, that was the visual in my head when you asked the question. Really? Yes, it was like, yeah, there's a moment in that piece. I just was so, I'm so moved by it. I love you. you.
0: Can you tell people about Limelight, this amazing thing and what it is (sighs) and what we're doing there?
1: Oh, but Limelight, you know, um, is Mm -hmm. a theater consulting company. And I have always been an independent, like a lot of us who teach at the university, we do our own work. We have to, because that, yeah. uh, we need to be continuing to be artists and whether I teach all the other places or I would teach summer camps or I teach other workshops or I do one-offs I've always done work. I, uh, a lot of work, most, a lot of it has been, um, in improvisation or improvisation. I'm developing improvisation mm-hmm. workshops for, psychologists because they want to focus on status or w- whatever so it's the it's the it's the uh, it, i call it um real world problems uh theatrical solutions right and so the whole idea is what is a theater-based solution to something and what's the problem that needs to be addressed and maybe the problem is something that can be explored through scripting and something more presentational. Some of it might be more improvisatory. But so the whole idea is I wanted mm-hmm. to figure out a way, and, I'm, and I'll be honest, I don't think we're there yet. I think I'm trying to figure out a way to to elevate what you said earlier in the interview is to recognize the power of theater beyond theater and its power to be able to be a transformative tool, to be a tool to shift, not attitudes, to prevent behaviors to foster community mm-hmm. and there's a lot of practitioners that do this across the country in different ways and I've been trying to still figure out the language to try to articulate it to lots of different Mm-hmm. non-theatrical entities, you know, businesses, nonprofits, things of that sort. But the project that I've, so I've been able to do a couple projects through it. And the project that I've been working on for the last year and a half is mm-hmm. a project on um, aging and caregiving, basically, and which you've been part of. And so basically this last project, which is a vital, a vital, a few on aging was a ethnographic theater project, which took a qualitative study and created a theatrical piece. Um, to present to caregivers and grant makers and mm-hmm. um, nonprofit directors and respite workers, and as you know, we talk about, about what what do yeah. I love about theater? I love about theater. once I know who audience is, I'm like, I got this. Yeah, I, I was like, okay, even though I, I you know, I got the research, I mean, I was asked to do this by a foundation. Can you figure out how to make sense of this study theatrically? I'm like, sure.
0: And how long was that study?
1: 180 pages. <laughs>
0: 180 pages down to like a, it's like a 20 minute theater piece. It
1: was really long. And I was like, oh, I so. but I was like, if I could create something. And, yeah. and I think that the study was, so, it's so good. I mean, that's also part of it. It's just from a, I mean, we talk about material for artists and theater artists. And like, Mm -hmm. I looked at that study and be like, well, this is theatrically just jazz. I mean, it just had so, it had narrative in there, but it had a whole bunch of real in-depth understanding Mm -hmm. of the kinds of caregiving approaches. So I could shape the piece based upon who I understood the audience to be hands. So limelight is an opportunity to be able to do this work.
0: Yes. And, and also,
1: and I'll be honest with you, my dream, I had, so I do have a dream. I wanted to find a way to find a space for the tilers of the world to, to be able to practice their craft in and, and to share their craft and get paid well for this kind of craft. And so part of it was honestly motivated by that. I mean, I was like, mm-hmm. I, if we, if we do this, I did this, I didn't need to start a con- like a little LLC, but part of it was so I could pay people well, because yeah. ultimately that, that's an aff- A lot of us do so much free work. And we have value to, to change the way that people live in this world and, uh, so, I mean, that's a really lofty goal for Little LLC, but it, it is just this whole idea of what is it, what does a theatrical solution look like and how can theater continue to be a a tool, a transformational tool? Yes. And that's what my does. So we're working on some other ideas. I can't t- I can't speak to them. I'll speak to them later, but they're in development and i uh, got to finesse yeah. it out. But uh, they... Um, they're leaning into the times that we are in. I mean, what do we? You ask the question: What is a theater mindset? We're adaptive. We've got to pivot. We've got to recognize what is and work with what is. And so I'm trying to figure that out because I want to be able to do theater.
0: Right. And there are so many different ways that that can happen.
1: I hope so. I hope
0: so. Let's transition out of that. And speaking of memories, from the beginning of your theater career to now what do you think is the most significant change you've noticed or participated in?
1: I mean, I think it's the, the sort of acceptance, integration, appearance of like more performative performance art, like aspects of theater. Like, I mean, I mean, even just the idea of the, ethnographic and autoethnographic performances, like those become like they don't people don't call them ethnographies or call them autoethnographic. It's a it's a one person show or it's a I remember this one moment actually in college. So I'll tell you my memory when you said it, the thing that was in my head. I was in college at Lawrence University and um small level art school, I was a theater major and I concentrated in sociology, as all people should do. Yes!
0: I love Sosh.
1: This was when the NEA 4 had been Mm. um, um, sort of like Holly Hughes and individuals had been sort of like, um, you know, um, denied funding. Karen Finley in particular, who I loved. Love. Mm -hmm. And we were going to bring trying to get Karen Finley to college, but I was really intrigued by the idea of what was considered oppressive or repressive art. And we put on this. There was this guy named Tony Eliato, and oh, I haven't talked to him in so long. I haven't even thought about him. And we decided this was also the heat beginning of HIV and AIDS, and uh, or the and also a more public outing of <clears throat> the gay community in not in like liberal, non you know, in more conservative spaces. I guess for lack of a better word, more more yeah. mainstream spaces. That's probably a better word. And we're in this like theater space where it's something we're doing this like performance art, like piece. And he, all of a sudden he, he starts the performance and he's, he's he's singing, he's doing something. And I don't even remember what the shift was or if I did something. And then two seconds later, he takes off his hat and all his hair falls and he'd shaved it all off. And he had all this hair and it shaved it. And it was the whole idea of that, this is what he was going to look like if we didn't uh, make HIV and AIDS a uh, if we if we weren't more responsive to HIV and AIDS. It was more. It was really activist like. Mm-hmm. It was really this. But I remember thinking that this is theater. Yeah. Like this is it. This is immediate. It's unforgiving. Mm-hmm. You can't look away. And I and I looked around and people were like, oh, and there's like this like moment of just like, Oh my gosh. And I was like, Oh, that is power. And then I just never looked back really. I just, I mean, I'm, I'm not an activist theater yeah. person, actually. That's probably not where I, I, I mean, I do theater that I intensely want to shift the way that we live in the world or added to it to prevent behaviors and things like destructive behaviors. But mm-hmm. um, I knew in that moment that, that I was going to just, that and I was—it wasn't even my moment. It was somebody else's moment, right? But I was part of it. This piece, uh-huh. and I was like, "Oh, it was—it was undefinable and totally transformational." So that was when you asked that question. I haven't thought about that in like thirty years. Now I get, Now yeah. I have to look him up my, uh, on the Facebook.
0: You totally do. I, You're gonna have to send in this episode know, when it comes I'm
1: out. I'm gonna have to talk to Tommy. Tommy He's a singer. He's a really pretty voice ah that's yeah. awesome
0: okay i got a couple more questions okay. for you what kind of changes would you like to see happen in theater over the next 25 years
1: Oof. first of all i'm gonna be kind of old but I-
0: <laughs> that's okay who cares I
1: mean like a bar so i can get up a stair uh okay um <laughs> we're talking
0: accessibility friends <laughs>
1: i really love theater that is like, of community, for community, by community. Like, not street theater, but I really yeah. love, I, I love to see it in, continue to see it in non-theatrical spaces. So I think that's what I love to see. I love to be able to really, to, to see, have individuals who create theater, perform theater, see it not solely representational, more presentational or equally presentational. Uh, not so focused mm-hmm. on the play uh exclusively yeah i'm not not you know the play itself is is text to to look at various texts right and and the reason i say this is you're making me reflect a lot on my like why i got to the space so i was in high school Mm -hmm. and i had and i had a great acting program so the so step theater came out of my high school the people who started it. And so, and, and the same drama teacher. And so my high school theater program in Chicago was highly competitive. I had a lot of training. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was given, there was a TA who was a senior in the class. Oh, fancy. Don Regal, who I still look up and love. And he really kind of like took me under his wing. And he said, I think I have a monologue for you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, here's what you should do. Here's the kinds of things you should do. You should go to Studs Terkel's book book, not a play, book, working, and find something in there that you connect with. He's a senior in high school. He tells me to go to the library. I'm a freshman, fresh person, freshman, freshman but definitely freshman then, today would be a fresh person. Thank you. Uh, and I go, and I remember I'm sitting on the floor of the library of the high school, and yeah. I am immersed in this. Like, I can't get up, and I play, and I end up choosing an, uh, a story of a garbage man. Did you? And I performed him as a freshman, yeah. Because I was thinking about the Garbage Men and I was like, how do I not know their name? What is wrong with me? Yeah. And so when I think about theater in 25 years, I wanted to reflect the people that live in the everydays. And I want to look at different texts that are not, I want people to look at different texts as material. Mm -hmm. I think, continue to do that. And I think we're doing that, but I think 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 that for sure.
0: I love that. What is something you wish you would have known at the beginning of your theater career?
1: Mm. Something I wish I would know. Well, I didn't think it would ever be a career. I think I didn't have a choice. Like, I don't think I knew I had a choice. Like, it's so funny. It's like, I didn't know what to do. Like, I tried majoring in political science and I tried majoring in art history. Not that you have to major in something and do something. Right, T. I finally just let go and like, screw it. Yeah. This is who I am. This is what I like to do. I don't. Uh, I mean, I, I think I re- realized pretty early on that I could use theater differently. I mean, right mm-hmm. out of, in college, I figured it out. Like, I was like, wait a minute. And then I only applied to jobs out of college that were like, I call teaching artist jobs. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I was a arts artist in residence in um something called Arts Educational Theater Company, which was using theater in prevention. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I like. So I don't know if I wish that somebody told me something early on. I think I, I I've been privileged enough to have afford, been afforded so many avenues to, to figure out what theater could be. So mm-hmm. I got really lucky. Like I didn't ever think I needed to be theater artist doing my auditions, doing these kind of more commercial mm-hmm. kind of thing and things. I, I think, I think to be a, the uh, theater artist though is you live a life of unpredictability and you just have to recognize that I don't really have that digestive track for that unfortunately that's always been the issue <laughs> I have a really nervous stomach and I'm a kind of an anxious person and so I think I've said listen you're gonna have some rough it's gonna be a rough digestive life for you
0: during mm-hmm.
1: the theater and it is because i i get so worked up about what i don't know and how is gonna you know as yeah. much as i love those moments i'm so constantly <laughs> it's just like it seems so like unfair I'm, I'm like <laughs> i know that i practiced it but then i'm like oh my God, i'm so nervous <laughs> so i get so nervous you know it's like yeah. soon as i get so nervous yeah for things and i just i can't get out of my head yeah i can't get I, feel so I wish somebody would say, I don't know if somebody would say something, but I wish I had better tools still to deal with it.
0: Yeah. We talked in my actual first episode of the podcast with Pam Cardell. We talked so much about self-care, self-love and combating that shame and that self-doubt. So if you're listening to this and you need some tips, go listen to that episode and go look at the show notes. <laughs>
1: Tammy. <laughs> She's awesome. amazing. That is so true. That would be a good one because she would do that. And, you know, we're contemporaries and, um, Yeah, that is, I'm probably not particularly good at that. So I probably should listen to that.
0: What is something significant that theater has taught or shown you about life?
1: Oh, I I mean, I've repeated, I've said this earlier, but know your audience. And when I Hmm. mean know it, know the people you get to share this world with. Like, know them, like, don't be, like, be fearless about it. Like know who they are Mm -hmm. that and i mean no audience like i'm involved in like politics and i'm involved in lots of you know kind of more you know social activist kinds of things and i'm so i know who, who who are the people who are the constituents who are who are the people that you get to like live in your neighborhood with who are the people that are part of this jewish community who are they not like theater forces me to deeply understand who an audience is mm-hmm. or is not and to me it drives everything i do in this world everything mm-hmm. i and part of it i like people i genuinely like people and and i know i'm saying audiences is a, as a yeah. mass but i want to know who are the individuals that make up the collective whole how do i use my tool my craft to connect, that's all. So I think theater teaches me to, to not just recognize audience, but to value the whole, as well as the the parts that make up the whole.
0: That's beautiful. What might you ask people in positions of power to consider about the arts and their potential for social change in our world?
1: Boy dang. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, listen. Some no shit doesn't have outcomes, okay? I can't measure a change in, in in attitude or behavior over the course of a thirty minute play. Get over it. Sometimes you just want to fund mm-hmm. something because, in a moment, it might make somebody feel good. It might have. It might allow somebody to uh, remove themselves from the everyday lives. I mean, so for me. I I you know, for somebody who writes a lot of grants, it's very hard to fund art because art yeah. isn't quantifiable. Or if it is, you're like, how many numbers, how many audience members did you have? And blah, 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 blah. so powers that be enough. Mm. Don't get to, I, you know, my yoga the yoga my yoga teacher years ago said we were in yoga and she said, Don't get too attached to the outcome. You're so focused on the outcome. You're not going to be able to do hmm. the work. And so when you're asking us, when when the powers that be ask us policymakers, or it's really funders and, that are related to policymakers, funders, well, they could be government, you know, how do we, what's the outcome of this work or what is, I don't know. I haven't done it yet. I don't know. I can't measure everything. Some things are immeasurable. Yeah. It's not particularly articulate response, but. As a very first thing, it's the thing that just frustrates me about funding in arts. I just want work to Mm -hmm. speak for itself. I don't want to have to quantify or even qualify it sometimes. So that's probably unfair. But sometimes I just, I just want people to trust that, like, yep, she's got a vision. She's got it. Okay, we trust you. Thank you. Yeah. This is. Yeah.
0: I get that. And if there are any mathematicians or statisticians listening to this podcast that want to help out theater artists and figuring out how we can quantify that kind of stuff for these positions, work with us, you know, like, (laughs) that's kind of what this podcast is all about, that theater mindset and figuring out like where we can work with other people to help elevate the status of theater in society.
1: You know, one time I think I was writing a syllabus and they wanted me to put course outcomes on it. And I'm like, like, well, mm-hmm. how do you know that this person learned something if you don't? I'm like, because I know. Because I'm going I, right. to, I, I, you heard me because yeah. I, am, I understand the word intrinsically. I understand the world, intri- world intrinsically. Like, how do I know something somebody is doing yeah. better? Because I know. Because I feel it. I sense it. It's visceral. I got it. I can't quantify it. I, can't, I can barely qualify it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. How do I know that you, that you, that this work in that class moved you, gave you a new tool? Because I know, because that's who we are. We know through feeling and you can't, you can't quantify that. You can't codify. I don't even know if that's a word.
0: I think so. I don't know. know. Codifying? codifying. Maybe it's codifying. At,
1: at, at age forty eight I would have been able to come up with this word, but at age fifty I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> this is lovely. This is lovely, Puffy. I love this. This is so Aww. great. I'm so honored to be able to be I'm like too. I'm so moved by it and you're so thoughtful always.
0: Thanks, Queen.
1: So just just be an exemplary human being. Oh <laughs> and art and kick ass artist, really.
0: Right. Thanks. I'll take that
1: all right <laughs> and there's just so much i can't wait to see what you continue to do in this world
0: thanks queen that mm. that means a lot to me because i respect the hell out of you and everything <laughs> that you do seriously Thank you. all right last two Thank questions
1: you.
0: okay what do you want non-theater people and we use that term loosely here non-theater people to know about theater
1: just because it's ephemeral doesn't mean that it doesn't have, um, it doesn't last long, it doesn't have a long lasting effect. Just because something is fleeting mm. uh, doesn't mean that it can't change a moment of life. I think that's it. I mean, that's probably a really philosophical response to your question, but I think, you know, theater, unlike other arts, because it seems it's so transient at times. And so it is transient. That's so, it is transient. It's ephemeral mm-hmm. that people often don't, you know, it's easier to, to participate or view like the visual arts or music as you can have the recording, but theater, you know, theater is, it's live and then, yeah, sure. It's recorded, but it's harder to, it's a live thing. It's live it's about a relationship between audience and player and audience and text mm-hmm. and audience and environment and that is so necessary to this world it's it's so necessary to have moments mm-hmm. of connection through story and through this through this medium so um, I mean, theater can make us see the world differently and be in the world differently.
0: Oh, that's so good. And I mean, I'm just, I'm always reminded of that performance of Vital, the very first one that we did for a public audience. And we had that audience member who, you know, had that muscular, de- muscular degenerative disorder. And he was, you know, kind of ignoring it because like anybody else would be, he was scared. And our theater piece put his future, and not only his future, but the future of his family in front of him. And after the show, he came up to us and talked to us about how he was gonna start making the plans that he could make now, so that things wouldn't be so hard on him and his family in the future, because they were going to get hard, you know? And I don't know what it is about our show, that was able, that that gave him, you know, the opportunity mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. reconcile those worlds in his mind, but it did. And he, and, and it left impact. That show ended, you know, and it was only 20 minutes, but the impact that it made on him and his family is going to be monumental. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, just because something is fleeting doesn't mean it can't last a lifetime, can right. it?
0: Exactly. Right.
1: Right. So. Yeah. I think that in that moment is true right that moment and it, yeah I I think there is a lot of power in having moments of that, those kinds of intimate artistic moments and and, and theater provides that. Yeah. Theater provides that. So that's what I would tell people. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Come closer. Yeah. You know I like you know I like really like oh. I want the audience like a foot in front oh, of me, me too. <laughs> You know, I like, it. Like I don't want the lights. I don't want, I want to see mm-hmm. them. I want, and like, if I'm going to do this, no, we're right yeah. here.
0: We're, we're going to do it. Right. Thank you.
1: Thank you oh so much God. for
0: being on this podcast, decky
1: My guess is such an honor. This is really thoughtful and meaningful, particularly this time. Really grateful for you. Yeah. Every day, all the time. As an, as a collaborator. Yeah. I love working with you. Love it. 24. <laughs>
0: Thank you for your support of life in theater from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. You are creative, valuable, and loved. Yes, you listening to this podcast wherever you are. And don't you forget it. If you like what I'm doing with life in theater, be sure to subscribe or leave us a rating, a review, or even share an episode on social media. You can chat with me and other listeners by following the show on Instagram at Life in Theater Podcast. And we have a cute little community going there that I'm excited to see grow. So keep commenting and sending me messages and see who you can meet in there. It'll be fun. Life in Theater is an independent podcast, which means it is entirely supported by the generosity of listeners like you. So if you're interested and have the means, subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Life in Theater Podcast. It is the best way to support the production of new episodes, and there you can submit questions to be asked on the show and get access to exclusive bonus content, like the answers to questions not featured in the original episodes, darling. (coughs) But you won't hear about it unless you subscribe to the Patreon. You can become a Patreon today for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash lifeandtheaterpodcast. I like to end every podcast episode with a ghost light quote. Ghost lights have a long history with theater, and they are still used on Broadway and in theaters all across the world to help the last few stragglers see their way out of a dark theater at the end of the night. I hope this quote helps to light your path. The quality of light by which we scrutinize our lives has direct bearing upon the product which we live. And upon those changes, which we hope to bring about through those lives. Audra Lorde. Thanks again for joining me on Life in Theater. We'll be back next week with another episode. Bye, friends!